Hello and welcome to Empire's very first House of the Dragon spoiler special. Our return to Westeros after far too long away. Hello, Pod. I'm Helen O'Hara, and I'm going to be your host as we talk about the very first episode of this Game of Thrones spin-off. But we're also going to look ahead at how we think it's shaping up, uh, you know, free of the mothership and cementing its own place in Westeros history. And joining me to do just that is our very own Khaleesi, Sophie Butcher. Hello. How are you feeling? I'm quite chuffed with that title for a start. <laughs> well, am I? Well, actually, are you? Am I? <laughs> Wait till the yeah. end of the season. Then, of Maybe course, we not. have the Viper himself, Ben Travis. Dracaris. <laughs> Fire, blood, mayhem, and nice things, sugar and spice <laughs> and things like that. Well, let's <laughs> hope so. And, of course, our very own maester, John Nugent. Avala Morgulis. <laughs> Valardo Valardo Harris. Harris. Thank you. <laughs> so how are you all feeling about being back in Westeros after uh, what a three year break? Yeah. Pretty damn good. It's been mm. I, I think it it's kind of soon to be back. It doesn't feel like we've been away for ages, but I think because of everything that's happened in those three years that feels like a million years, um, and the sheer amount of stuff that we watch these days, like the amount of massive shows that we get, it does feel like a little while since we've been away from Westeros. And it was good to be back. It's really nice. Generally, I think the the reception to this first episode has been positive, and to hear people like enjoying Game of Thrones again and not just instantly going, "Oh, didn't like the ending. <laughs> it was all terrible." When that wasn't the case, is quite a nice thing. I'm enjoying this being back in our in our heads and on our TVs. Yeah. Wait, were you just saying that the end of Game of Thrones wasn't terrible? Is that was that your? <laughs> are you setting out that I position don't think immediately? It's that bad. Uh, it's no way near as good as a lot of the stuff that came before it. I don't really object with like how it ends. It's just a very different show by the end, mm. and I, I feel like people get so fixated on that ending that they now just write the whole show off in a way that's just baffling to me because for at least five years it was like, oh wow, this is one of the best things I've ever seen in my life, and I don't know where it's going, and it's hooking me every bit of the way. Um, it just set a very, very high standard for itself that an ending that was like, I don't know, pretty decent, but maybe pandered a bit too much to these things and sped things along a bit there and yeah, rushed itself a bit. It's not ideal, but it wasn't terrible. Come on. Okay. Where do the other two of you stand? Because I feel like we should set this out immediately. <laughs> let's let's be clear on, on how, where everyone's coming from. I'm pretty much in Ben's camp. I, I had a great yes. time with the last two seasons. I mean, I think, you know, uh, maybe some of Daenerys's uh, character choices uh could could leave a, a little bit to be desired but but it's just it was so much fun i'm very happy to be back in westeros because it was just such a good place to hang out um as a viewer <laughs> obviously not as a participant <laughs> i think uh you know unless you're a dragon you probably have a really bad time and even then the dragons didn't have a, a great time of it um but no I, I i loved game of thrones i thought at its peak it was pretty much as good as television gets um in the run-up to this uh to the house of the dragon i've been re-watching little clips on youtube i have already watched in, in preparation for the last season of game of thrones i watched the entire series all the way over again so it's one of the few shows that i've watched twice and i, I just love it i love revisiting it, it some of the, it's it's just one of those shows that's just very good at 
big bombastic moments and that's i'm not not even the battles but like the the character moments like it's very good at like understanding what makes big impactful tv and yeah so far house of the dragon well we'll get into it but um you know it's it it certainly has a sense for that as well i think okay and sophie how about you yeah um i'm yeah i'm a huge game of thrones fan i came to it quite late i think um there was maybe about six seasons out by the time I started watching it, but bought a box set. I don't know why I bought a box set instead of streaming. Must have been the good old days. And um, absolutely like burned through it, caught up, and then was sort of a, a religious watcher from there. In terms of last season, I liked it. It felt rushed. Um, I think the Daenerys stuff at the time felt surprising to me, but as time's gone on, doesn't really like it feels like it fits with the character the more you think about it and like I kind of understand why why they did it the thing that I didn't like the most about the last season was that Bran ended up on the throne at the end <laughs> I was just like all of this for Bran I don't know um <laughs> maybe I just hate Bran I don't know why uh, but, it's good um, for you you know fiber yeah <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that'll be why. I'm not very healthy. Um, yeah, but so I don't know. That's it did end a little bit on a sort of not so much with a bang but with a whimper for me, but that didn't under like that didn't undermine all the great stuff that had came after it. Mm. Um came before it, sorry. And yeah, I'm very happy to be back because these what Game of Thrones and now House of the Dragon does so well that sometimes I struggle with with these other bigger fantasy shows is it just feels just accessible from the start and it just engrosses you from the start and the the world is familiar so that's helpful and the Targaryen thread was always my like sort of favourite part of Game of Thrones Daenerys' thread was always my favourite I wanted to know more about that family about that history because we only saw such a tiny bit of it with her so to have a whole show dedicated to it feels like really exciting and it's your jam yeah yeah mm, definitely you say that but one of the things i really enjoyed with this first episode of house of the dragon was just like knowing what was going on because i spent at least three seasons of game of thrones generally kind of following stuff but every five or ten minutes going wait who's that and who are they related to and mm. who are they allied with and what's going on and about halfway through that show, it's like, okay, I finally get who everyone is and where everyone is and what's actually happening. Whereas from this show, I think right from the beginning, I'm like, I don't know if I've just been trained by Game of Thrones to know how these this world operates and what this world is. But I'm quite happy to be going into this and actually like knowing what's going on from the beginning. Mm, <laughs> Unlike Game so of Thrones, where it took me a long time. <laughs> so so far. far. Yeah, I, I, I will give you my, my personal theory on uh, Game of Thrones and the problem with its ending. And the problem with the ending is every single time, I've said this before on the podcast, so apologies for people who remember, the thing about Game of Thrones throughout is that every single time somebody had a plan to do a thing, there would be an unforeseen complication or a new actor who would come on the scene completely unexpectedly and screw things up, right? So basically every single time we're like, I'm going to you know, take Joffrey off the throne because he's not Robert Baratheon's son. And then it was, I think you'll find it's more complicated than that. And somebody comes out of nowhere and whoosh, betrayal, beheading, the whole whole works. The problem with trying to end that show is that you have to, at some point, stop having unexpected people come out of the woodwork and throw everybody for a loop. And at that point, it stops feeling like Game of Thrones. And I genuinely think this is probably the thing that uh, that George R. R. Martin is also struggling with in finishing the books, because the moment that things that plans start to work without new complications, sending everybody off in sixteen different directions, 
it stops feeling like Game of Thrones. Um, I don't know if this if this series, as it gets into its own end game, whatever that may be, will be able to find a way around that. But I I genuinely think that was a, a huge part of the problem for for Game of Thrones' last two seasons. And and maybe it would have been alleviated if they hadn't rushed it, which I do I do think it was absolutely rushed. I think you're absolutely right, Sophie. But um, but I don't know if if that just would have made it feel even more surprising that nobody knew was coming in and nothing weird was going wrong. In terms of understanding where things are from from day one, one of the things that was striking about Game of Thrones is aside from a very brief glimpse of some white walkers and an unusually large wolf, there's pretty much no magic in the beginning of Mm. Game of Thrones um, and very little in all of season one. But here we have dragons in literally the first shot past the prologue. So they're setting out their stall that this is going to be a little bit different and a little bit maybe more where Thrones, you know, got to in, in seasons four, five, six than where it started off. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, that um, when Game of Thrones first started, I guess HBO and TV makers in general were a little reticent about fantasy and they wanted to make this show feel accessible to a wider audience beyond the sort of D&D playing nerds. Um, and so it feels hey. like it's, Yes, and I, I I am one of those nerds. Um, if you know, it feels like it. The, that first season in particular feels like a sort of medieval political, uh, like drama, doesn't it? It feels it's very yeah. like grounded and realistic. And throughout, they have this. They establish this very interesting tone, kind of kind of medieval historical realism almost. Um, and then pepper in a little bit of fancy elements. And then by the end of it, it's like, whoa, whoa," you know, lots of all of, all of the classic stuff. Uh, that's, that's my articulate way of describing fantasy. Just noises. Was that the sound of a dragon? The sound of a white walker? (laughs) Yes. Yes. All of those. The sound of people watching the final season, I think. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The internet grumbling. Um, but yeah, you're right, Helen. It's this the House of the Dragon. I mean, there are dragons in within the first three minutes. You know, they're then they're not pissing about anymore. They're, this feels like and and it feels like the climate, uh, the sort of cultural climate has changed, perhaps, and people are much more open to the idea of of fantasy with a capital F. I think that's maybe partly what this show is able to do and what they want to show right from the beginning that. The two sides of Game of Thrones, as if it started, as you say, as really like a full on character drama that became more and more of a fantasy show as it went along. A series like House of the Dragon theoretically can do both at the same time in quite a balanced way, where it is still a tussle for power and about succession and about the characters living in King's Landing and the Red Keep and stabbing each other in the back and in the front and everywhere else. But also from the beginning going, okay, you expect dragons in these shows now. You had a long build up to the fantasy stuff. We're not going to make you wait for seasons and seasons before all the fantasy stuff comes in. And so then from a slightly cynical point of view, if they're going to go, okay, here's a spin-off, here's a prequel, here is something that has both the plotting, the political plotting, and also the big scary dragon stuff all at the same time, which feels like quite a savvy move. Yeah, very much so. So had you guys read the book? So this is based on um Fire and Blood. Uh, had you what were your levels of sort of anticipation for this before you saw it? And, you know, how are you feeling? right now i've only read a couple of the song of fire and ice books um i've not read uh is it is it fire and blood did you say is that what this is called um yeah 
I I haven't read that. I don't think I will read it. From what it sounds like, it's it's not a, it's not like a, a sort of novelistic book. It's like a dry fictional history, essentially. Is it's, that right? Yeah, it's not dry, but it is a fictional history, if that makes sense. But it doesn't have the sort of point of view chapters yeah. that um, The Song of Ice and Fire had. And that, to me, is really interesting because it gives them a lot of wiggle room in terms of people's characters. You know, you, you don't have anything really internal. You just have the bare fact of this happens and this happens and this happens. This is disputed. It may have gone down this way or that way or some third way in between. And already in the show, I can tell you that they're they're sometimes going for the third way in between, and they're sometimes going for one person's account or another person's account. So they're sort of mixing up and using the full possibilities of that history to kind of play with here, which I think is really interesting because as a book reader and somebody who, who has read Fire and Blood, it means you're still a little bit on your toes. That's really cool. I mean, I think I can speak for Sophie and I in saying that mm. our only exposure to this history is James Dyer loudly explaining it to <laughs> us across the office. Yes. Um, yes, I haven't read it. I don't think Sophie's read it either. It's just the James explaining no. uh, in in real time. But that's cool that for book readers, it does have all these grey areas, which again feels like a Game of Thrones thing. Nothing was was mm. cut and dry in that world and in that show. And to have a history that's like, hey no one else was in the room where it happens we don't know quite how this went down and for this on a dramatic level to be able to kind of pivot a bit and have that wiggle room to do interesting things um i think spells uh kind of interesting potential going forward i think it's i think it can be good and bad i i'm I, I, you know, George R. R. Martin is a fantastic world builder. He has like a ludicrous mind for being able to spin just incredible history at, to an almost ridiculous degree. Like the, the scale of his world is now just, I mean, it's mind boggling. But it, we, you, you can't forget, he's also a really strong writer. Like his, his, his writing, his prose in the at least the books that I've read is really like sparkling and engaging and funny and and full of like rich characters. Um, and I wonder if if the script writing in this film they have to fill in some of that blanks. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I I I that that may be what sets it apart from uh, from Game of Thrones. Well, how are we feeling about the characters so far? Because, you know, first of all, you have, uh, as per usual, a wildly overqualified cast of British character actors, for the most part, taking leading roles in this. And, you know, it feels like, I mean, yes, you're right, on the page, some of these characters are kind of sketches, you know, the good king, the bad boy, whatever else. It feels to me like they're already adding shades to that. So particularly, I'm thinking of Paddy Considine as Viserys and uh, Matt Smith as Damon, his brother. I feel like I've already got more detail from them in one episode than I have from from those those parts of the book. Yeah, because I, I agree, because Matt Smith and Damon, you could think is sort of an out and out villain um cartoonish villain which he does have very villainous moments in this first episode but he also has moments where you see him a little bit vulnerable and when you think compared to someone like joffrey it's it's just like we didn't really see that much of that from him from what i can remember i haven't rewatched really no, joffrey the show. was 100 percent dick no question yeah it's just out and out whereas i feel like he has he does have shades to him that we we haven't seen yet as you say and with viserys paddy constantine um you know, he's 
we have this impression of him as this weak king. Damon says he can't make decisions, but he, he very much does so in this episode. He makes a very bold decision, whether you like it or not. And, you know, it's something that he does. He's not weak in that moment, although it's not the decision I would have made. And so it's like people's perception of these characters, but then what they're actually doing when we see them um, on their own is sort of subverting things a little bit. I think those two are probably the most fleshed out. Like I'm excited to see how Renera develops because she doesn't have too much to show, but I also already really like the dynamic between her and Alison already. And Alison has this quite sort of nervous disposition. You see her sort of picking at her fingers. You're thinking, oh, there's like, what's going on with her? There's obviously more under the surface than we're seeing. So I agree. I think they're sort of um, rounding out these characters really interestingly already, even this first episode. Yeah, I think you get a really good sense early on of of kind of who these characters are. It's interesting... um seeing various other Targaryens because as uh, Sophie was saying in Game of Thrones it was just Daenerys and her dickhead brother who got killed off very quickly so within this I mean we we've heard a lot about all the Targaryens through the years and the Mad King and all the stuff mm. with um the whoever it was that Jon Snow was actually descended from but to actually see a bunch of Targaryens who all kind of feel like Targaryens, but then maybe Viserys is like almost as close to a Stark as a Targaryen can be. And Daemon, as you say, kind of on the one hand being a total dickhead, but on the other hand, also having vulnerabilities and being a bit unsure and actually seeming to have some genuine care for Rhaenyra as well. Um, is There's lots of interesting notes going on there. Um, but also seeing this kind of long lineage of very fiery people, literally and metaphorically, um, I, I think it sets a, an interesting stall up for how these characters might clash and come against each other in these coming seasons because they kind of are all, you know, there's people where you kind of clash with them because you're like, we're almost too similar, but also too different at the same time. I feel like it's sowing some of those seeds quite early on. Spoilers. It is. <laughs> I will say though. You mean they don't uh, all just get along and <laughs> Renera is queen and then there's House happily of ever best after? friends. <laughs> um, but the, I don't know. It kind of pains me to say this a bit, but if there was any weak link in this first episode, for me, it was maybe Paddy Considine, which is quite surprising because I think he's always excellent. And I don't think he's bad in this. I don't think it's because of the character that he's playing, because he's obviously intentionally playing a character who is more unsure and maybe quite chill and quite subdued, but I didn't fully believe in him in that role. There was something about that where compared to some of the other characters that we were meeting and immediately it was like, I don't know, something about this performance pops or I really feel them inhabiting this facet of that personality I think I expected just a little bit more from Paddy Considine because he's so good in everything. And in this, I thought he was fine while uh, Matt Smith is off stealing the show. And Millie Alcock, mm. I think, did a good job as the younger Rhaenyra in this episode as well. Yeah, I think she's fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. I think I think Paddy really stood out to me when I watched this a, a second time, I'll be honest. And I have watched a few more episodes and I think he he's really kind of stepping up and stepping up every time. What really stands out to me this time, though, is that scene that Sophie mentioned. So it's the scene where his wife and, by the way, cousin, 
Emma is mm. uh, is laboring away to bring forth what he hopes will be a male heir, and he is told, "Well, we can basically do a cesarean, but your wife will probably die if we do. But the baby might survive." And he has to choose. What's interesting to me is the juxtaposition of that with the bath scene earlier, where she says, "I don't want mm. to do this again. I don't want to try again." Because I wonder if he would have made a different decision if they hadn't had that conversation. And my suspicion is that he would. And that gives the whole scene and the whole decision a much, much darker, more twisted kind of undercurrent than I think we see elsewhere. And it creates a really interesting tension between that and the kind of good time king that we see in all the rest of the episode who just wants everybody to get along and just wants everyone to have a nice time. But I think there's a really twisted thing here. Now, I know that our own Beth, who was talking about this on Pilot, really hated that scene, but I think that scene is kind of key to the character and, and maybe to the whole episode. He's, um, he, he's a very interesting character, isn't he, in the sense of this, this, this recurring theme you see in a lot of George R. R. Martin stuff, this idea of you know, responsibility and duty versus uh, duty to the realm versus duty to your family. Um, and he does seem like a character that's really torn by his duty i I actually really love the scene at the end where he sort of tries to explain to to renaris the 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 sort of gravity of the situation that he has this vision about the long nights and that you know he he it's almost like he has to have a son like that's that's how important it is um uh in order to basically save the world um uh, so he's 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 kind of like torn. Yeah, he is. It, it's an interesting character. I, mean, I think it is a very hard thing to do to just be a sort of benevolent king in a way. You know, it's much more fun and and uh, to to be a bit of a dick. Um, but I, I yeah, I, I like Helen said. I've I've seen um, a few more episodes, and I think his his character progression is. Um, it's interesting. Yeah. I, I, I think I saw him as a Ned Stark type and he would like die off straight away. And it doesn't necessarily go in that direction. Um, but no spoilers. <laughs> yeah. I wonder then if you're sort of um, feeling about that, not him not quite working. Does it? Is it just because Paddy Considine himself doesn't feel like a Targaryen? When you say Matt Smith, what yes. house would he play? It feels like you would say Targaryen. You might say Lannister, which Damon is kind of... Got a bit of that feel about I him. I felt but like that to begin you, with as well. When you think Paddy, you just kind of think Stark, don't you? Because he's a northerner, whatever. It's the East <laughs> so maybe it's we're just he's like northern. <laughs> trying to get over this like barrier in our heads. Um, because I know what you mean and I felt it too. Like the bath scene that you say, the first one, um, the fact that he, he clearly does have a lot of affection for Emma. They are clearly in love, despite being cousins. That also surprised me. Like I wasn't quite sure how how that relationship actually was it doesn't just because they're married doesn't mean there's much love there um and it seemed like there was and i think it's really interesting what you say helen that that conversation puts a whole different spin on the cesarean because if she hadn't have said that then you could see um viserys's choice as being he's basically told that if he doesn't do this they're both gonna die anyway so he's like well i'm trying to save one person and you could see that that being like a good thing for him to do but with that knowledge of like she was never going to have a try and have another baby anyway, you can see the selfishness coming through in that decision. But um, yeah, I find that the birth scene was super hard to watch. I'm not going to lie. On the big screen at the premiere that I was lucky enough to go to, it was a lot. But the way it intercut with the violence of the jousting, I thought was great. 
Um, and I thought it was really, really effective. It was pivotal for that character and for the setup going forward. In the kind of supplementary making of bit on YouTube that they put out after the episode aired, uh, they said it was Miguel Sapochnik's idea to intercut between the jousting and the, the, the birthing sequence, which directly connects to that line of dialogue about uh, when Emma's saying the, the childbirth is our battlefield, basically. And I think you come out of that going, well, I know which one looks more fucked up to me. <laughs> I know which one yeah. seems even more horrible. And I don't know, it, it, it was horrible and really hard to watch that childbirth sequence. I don't think I'd ever seen anything that went as far as that, but that, I don't know, almost didn't feel gratuitous. It felt yeah. like what that would be. And for them not to shy away from that, it's going to be horrible to watch. But also, I don't know, it f- well, felt weirdly like well-intentioned and well done. I would agree with that. I, yeah. I'm not totally on the same page there. I, I, I think it, I, it didn't... <sighs> It was certainly shocking and I thought it was impressive how shocking it was. Like, you know, it takes a lot when you see the amount of stuff that we all see and, you know, the amount of violence there is in TV and film, like for something to shock me now feels like, okay, wow, that is, that is, they've, they've actually, yeah, I was not expecting to, to feel that way. Um, I, I, I guess it, in it, in, in my I felt a bit uncomfortable and a bit, it felt slightly gratuitous, just in the sense that we didn't really know this character. This character maybe had three scenes and then she was being cut open. Uh, and she was fantastic mm. in those scenes. I saw Sean Brooke did a, an amazing, did left a huge impression with the time that she had. thought she was, you know, she, she had this sort of world weariness to her that was, that was really compelling, but you, you know, if 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 you're going to kill off a character in such a gruesome way, uh, and it, we barely know this character, then it it feels like a plot device. It feels like, you know, it, you're you're getting into fridging territory slightly. Um, uh, and I, yeah, I really don't think sure. I agree I, with yeah, that. Yeah, I, I know that. Again, you know, there have been other arguments put forward, as as Sophie mentioned, but to me, you know. It it would feel weird that a fil- that a series that is so committed to showing outrageous violence so often uh, would shy away from childbirth. It f- it genuinely would feel a bit disingenuous to me sure. if that was suddenly the line. Um, and I think you know they they'd done enough for you to suspect that she would get through this and she would survive. She was enough of a character for that, so, uh, you know. But I don't know that you know, given the pace of the storytelling in this show, which is something we'll talk about when we meet up again to talk about this in a few weeks. You know, I, I'm not sure they could have pushed this back too many more episodes and still had it make sense because I think th- this incident is really, in some ways, the the inciting incident of the whole show, and it has to happen pretty early, mm. or things don't have any sense of momentum from here on out. Yeah, I'm not saying they they shouldn't have that level of violence, and I don't know. I, I guess it's just about sort of context and. Uh, if the character has feels like they've been given um, more than just um, being cut open in a really gruesome way, and you know she does get some great dialogue and some, as like I say, makes a good impression. But um, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I just I think I was just disappointed that we didn't see more of that character. Perhaps and she wasn't given a That's chance. 
it's interesting to talk about what feels gratuitous and what doesn't. And there are things that I think are gratuitous in this episode and it's not the birth scene. It's the sex scenes. Um, this, the birth scene, the impact for me wasn't in seeing her being cut open, even though that is awful. The impact for me was when Paddy goes and holds her hand and says they're bringing the baby out now and you can just see it dawn in her yeah. eyes. It's that like character moment of like he's literally going to watch his wife be cut up and she knows what's coming. It's like that, it's the character bit for me that really, I'm getting chills now just thinking about it. That's what really hit me. It wasn't the, it wasn't even really the violence. Maybe I'm just a psycho who's used to seeing um, violence against women on this scale. But um, that that's what made that scene so impactful for me, not necessarily like the cutting, etc. But a hundred percent agree actually. Yeah. yeah. Was it just me um, was I so traumatized by what I'd just seen that I actually missed the moment or was there a moment where they outright said that the baby had died as well? No, because I was like... They don't. No, th- there's there's okay. a moment where the maester is holding the baby and I think you mm. hear a hitch of breath. I didn't pick that up until the second time I watched this, uh, but you hear a little mm. weird noise coming from the baby and then the next mm. thing is cut to the tiny body wrapped next to the big body on the funeral right. pyre. So yes, you're right. I think there, I there missed isn't- that on the yeah. funeral pyre as well. And then, I I, I don't know, I, I got the sense that this is where this was going, that none of that was going to be a good situation and he was going to have to find another heir anyway, even just from what we've seen in the trailers for the show. But I was there going, wait, did I did I miss that? And I, I mean, it was very early on a Monday morning to be watching such things. <laughs> um, but that's kind of an interesting way for them to, to kind of play that. Yeah, no, I was the same on first viewing. I missed, I, I was like, they didn't specify that. And then I think somehow I missed the small body. Um, so I only realised when Renera says um, about him living for an hour or whatever it was. Mm. Um, so yeah, somehow I missed that as well. <laughs> but because up till then I was like, oh, wait, can't survive, surely. That's not the premise of the show. But yeah. Yeah. It it's, it's an interesting, you know, recurring theme through history, just this this desperation of kings to have a son in particular. Um, of course, Henry VIII, probably the most famous exemplar of it, but just the, the desperate means, desperate measures that men will go to when they don't, they haven't secured their own uh, succession. And of course, you know, Ben, you mentioned a, a line from Hamilton earlier. It's all about legacy again, uh, as, as in Hamilton, just a different sort of legacy. So that is already clear it's going to be a theme of the show going forward. And we've already seen, even from the very opening scene, you see King Jaehaerys, who was uh, Viserys' predecessor on the throne, getting the lords of the land together to choose which of his possible heirs he should go with, and and them choosing the guy over the woman. Which brings us to Corliss and Raina. Rainus. Mm. Rainus, Rhaenyra, call it Chorus, Corliss. <laughs> There's it's gonna be a lot of names. There's a lot so of many names. names. Yeah, yeah. So many. <laughs> I mean, just before we get into them, I thought the that opening prologue was a really interesting way to start, partly mm. because we get a Rhaenyra voiceover. So to an extent, yes, this is a semi-objective telling, but it's also partly her perspective on things. We're sort of partly in her head, mm. which I thought was an interesting note. And also just as a differentiation from Game of Thrones, that didn't really happen at all in Game of Thrones as far as I remember that we were like, we were an audience being told a story rather than just the story was happening and we were watching it as it unfolded. Um, But it felt like a really neat way of, on the one hand, getting some story out of the way, on the other hand, kind of setting up who the main families are and the themes of the show 
while also introducing you to the voiceover of the main character. Sort that was like super neat and and it felt new and different, but also brought you back into that world in a in a very clean way. It felt like Galadriel at the start of Fellowship in yes, many me ways, too. didn't it? Um, yeah. Five rings for the for the dwarves, um, and also the fact that it's happening in Harrenhal. So we've been there before in Thrones. You know, it's it's a ruin even two hundred years before, just under two hundred years before. So you know, you're kind of establishing a familiar world from minute one, and then cutting to all these beauty shots of of King's Landing and Baylor's Keep and all the rest. It, it's it's very grounding you in we're back in Westeros, everything's okay, but also setting up. But this is different because it's a different time period and here's the stakes of what we're dealing with right now. It's interesting that the Starks are going to be about as important as they are in the book, Fire and Blood, which is to say not important at all. This is about mm. um, the Valarians, who are the, the Targaryens' biggest allies, uh, so that's Lord Corlys, and the High Towers, so that's uh, Recephon's crew as well. Can I ask a history a Westeros history question. So it says um, that this is when we pick up in the main body of the story. It's 172 years before Daenerys. Yeah, is that right? Before Daenerys is born. So about 187, yeah. 88, and before the start of Game of Thrones. Yeah. Yeah. Where are we in terms of the Mad King, who is Aegon, right? Who That's her father. So he goes mad in the last few years before he's killed and before right, she's born. Okay. So this is way, way before that. Okay. Yeah. I don't think I remembered that. He was her father. I didn't know whether that was like further back in the timeline. Um, it's confusing. Though, right? Sorry, that father was or grandfather? Grandfather, maybe? I forget. But yes, mm. no father. I was just going to say it's confusing because there's at least one, there's maybe three or four Aegons that like every every other Targaryen is called Aegon, is right? The there's Aegon the Conqueror who yeah. founded the Seven Kingdoms and then there's Aegon who is the Mad King. But then there's also an Aegon mm. in this who shows up later in the series. Uh, mm. And there's a new Aegon in between who's died by the time this starts. Yes. Um, and, I th- and a couple of Aemons and Aemons possibly as well with a D. Aemon um, woman. And yes. <laughs> yes, yeah, Aemon woman. What? And there's, uh, there's Renice, Rhaenyra, um, and, and lots of reigns as well. So it's like keeping up with the names is going to be a problem. This is because, of course, the Targaryens practice inbreeding. Um, they Ooh, make the bad. yeah they make the Habsburg Damn dynasty of Spain look like a normal family. Uh, that's a really funny <laughs> joke for any historians out there. Just FYI, <laughs> giant jaws became deformed. They could barely speak by the by the middle Whoa. of the 1700s. Uh, anyway, Whoa. my point being, they got a sort of special dispensation from the from the septs from the septons to keep inbreeding despite the sort of prohibition on it in Westeros when they moved, when they conquered. Um, but they didn't get to keep, and this is, I think, really interesting, and I hope one of the points of the show and not just thoughtless, they didn't get to keep going with sort of primogeniture. So even if a woman is the eldest, she takes the throne. It's now very much men, number one, women don't really get to inherit. And my imp- my impression of from the books is that wasn't necessarily the case in all Valyria. So that they have they have given ground on one thing in order to keep the thing that matters more to them, which is the inbreeding. What fun. <laughs> yeah, oh, that, those Targaryens. Um, <laughs> what a crazy <laughs> bunch. Yeah, definitely. I have to say, like, I know it's the it's the kind of core concept of the show, and I think it will be developed a little further. But that moment where 
Rhaenyra is suggested as, uh, and one of the councils just like a girl, a girl on the throne, and it was like, oh, are we really doing? Are we really doing this? I don't know. I know it's the core concept of the whole show, and so it's going to like be expanded on, and that's going to be what's interesting about it. And he has chosen her, and that you know, we'll see where that goes. But it was like, I don't know. Is this the? Is this the you know fist of the patriarchy that we think it is when it's it's just about the same thing over and over again? I don't know. So it's interesting to hear that that's what's been um, chosen from like what they've carried on and what they've they've decided to let go. I hope it's going to be a subject of thoughtful commentary rather than just mm. boring old medieval sexism because we've seen that a million yeah. times. Like who cares? I think it is an interesting wrinkle, though, as you said. Is is it Rainus uh, Valerion's wife, uh, mm-hmm. who was Paddy Constantine's sister, who was passed over so that cousin. he cousin, cousin. Paddy's elder cousin. cousin. So she's both elder and and the daughter of an elder child of Jaehaerys. Yeah. So uh, that's a really interesting wrinkle as well for just this general idea of succession going forward, because it's not just. Hey, I've chosen Rhaenyra to be my heir. It's also, hey, well, if you're going to do that, then what about her, who has passed over long before? Um, I think that's a, a nice extra little wrinkle between it just being like, is it going to be Rhaenyra or is it going to be Damon, big, big bad mad Damon? So I, I'm intrigued to see how that plays out, and it just feels like hopefully between those two characters, they can contrast them and they can have it playing out in these multiple senses without it just being like just the Rhaenyra story, and that's what you get in terms of trying to put a woman on the throne. Here's a question. When Damon gave her a necklace, did you see a loving uncle and a niece? Or did you see <laughs> a little bit of gross flirtation? Yeah, it was pretty, it felt a pretty bit wicked. Weird. Um, just, I don't know. The, the incest thing is interesting because... Um, with Game of Thrones, that was really like a Lannister thing. The Lannisters mm. loved a bit of Lannister. And, and it felt like really was, shocking and unusual compared to everyone else. It but. was shocking and unusual. And I think that was part of the, hey, this Joffrey guy who's just like the worst <laughs> kid you've ever seen is the result of pure brother-sister incest. And that's part of the horrible brew that makes this horrible little boy. And... <laughs> With this show, as much as the Targaryens are going to be like a mixed bunch, there is going to be an element of we need characters to root for. And I have a feeling that some of the characters we're going to be asked to root for are also big old brother lovers, cousin lovers, (laughs) mother lovers, you name it. We can write up a whole list. Um, which I, I, it'll be interesting to see how they can thread that needle going forward. I, that's made mm. me think of um, the Lonely Island song, Mother Lover, which <laughs> mother lover. is... I'm a mother lover, you're a mother lover, we could love each other's mothers. <laughs> love each other's mothers. <laughs> it's a certified banger, but that's... that's um, sorry, that's, uh, that's slightly off track. But it is a, it, it is an, a good point. I, I am not sure who I'm rooting for uh, it, it became a sort of game with Game of Thrones of like, who do you want to see on the Iron Throne in the end? Um, and Bran, Bran, Bran. Obviously, we all wanted no. Bran. It was no. he was the the the, the fan favorite. Um, Bran favorite. The Bran favorite. It, it's it's. It, I I slightly touched on this. So I wrote the review for Empire um, of of the first few episodes, and I. I do think so far, at least, I, I feel like House of the Dragon is slightly missing 
some of the sparkle uh, and some of the sort of rich, funny, interesting, surprising characters that the original show had. So I don't see a Tyrion equivalent, for example. I don't see a, a, a Varys or a Littlefinger equivalent. Um, I don't even see like a you know a, a Brienne of Tarth or or something like like that. I, I there is there was that was one of Game of Thrones's strongest points. I think was that it had these like really surprising, interesting, complex, um, three dimensional characters who made choices that you didn't expect, and you know seemed to be presented as heroes or villains to begin with, and then went in the other direction. Um, and you know it's it's very early days. It may yet surprise us, but um, I, I I I want I want some of that 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 yeah that richness. Does it have an ancient ancient descendant of hot pie, possibly called cold pie? Because <laughs> that would spice things up. Let's hope. I mean, of course, many of those people didn't turn up in episode one or even season one in a couple of cases. Yeah. So. You know, there's a yeah. lot of time to introduce new people and, and introduce a new, a bit of, um, a bit more color and a bit more uh, variance in tone to this world. But but you do make a good point. I mean, this is maybe a bit more serious so far than Game of Thrones. Is that mm. fair to say? I think so, and I think also. And again, I talk about this in the review. It it is a narrow story. It's a very specific focus. Whereas Game of Thrones was, I mean, you only have to look at the title sequence of Game of Thrones, which was a giant animated map covering the entirety of Westeros and Essos. And this is, uh, well, it's just, I haven't seen the, the final version, but I think it's just the House of the Dragon. It's just the Targaryen sigil, right? It's, it's literally uh, just this one family. And really, primarily set in the Red Keep of King's Landing, so you know there there isn't as as much of a texture I've I've found so far anyway. There isn't as much sort of variety or, or um, yeah, different perspectives. It, it is really mm. this one family and their their succession squabbles. Um, their hangers on. Yeah, but 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 yes, like you say. It is such early days and you'd imagine they have several seasons mapped out and the way it's going, it seems like they kind of, well, they obviously know how it ends. Um, so they have a plan, um, which perhaps you, they may not have had in the last season of Game of Thrones if you were being unkind. <laughs> I don't know. We don't need to get into that again. Yeah. I think that's fair. And, uh, you know, there will be other characters who are definitely going to come in and have a role. Um, for sure, we're going to have um, more from the Lannisters, more from the High Towers. Uh, mm. I suspect there'll be a bit of Dorne unrest at some point. We'll definitely go to the Dragon Mount because that's really important to Targaryens as well as uh, King's Landing. Um, I don't know if we'll get much from the Starks. We'll definitely have more from the Valerians. You know, there's going to be there's going to be some people who come into this as we go. I also think there will be a court jester who will play a major role, judging by the book. <laughs> now, what form that jester takes, I don't really know, but we shall see. It's going to be a jester off between uh, the who's the guy from <laughs> The Witcher who sings "Toss a Coin to Your Witcher," who's like weirdly central to the show. You're like watching the uh, Geralt Henry Cavill show, and then about. I don't know, two-fifths of the runtime? Is is it J Jaskier, he's called? Just a guy with a lute wandering around singing songs. So that would be a real pivot for Game of Thrones as well, if they do that with House of the Dragon. 
They need some more songs. Rings, uh, Reigns of Castamere was, you know, not nearly enough of a banger. We need it's more. It's not a banger, is it? Can I make a suggestion for Jester casting? Could we get Andy Samberg and Justin Timberlake? <gasps> this is all coming together. <laughs> oh my God. Fantastic. Singing about mother lovers. Somebody's dick got cut off. <laughs> Somebody's dick got cut off in this episode. Somebody could put that in a box. There you we know, go. Medieval dick in a box. Right there. And it'll be the second dick in a box that we've had in the Game of Thrones <laughs> world. And like Jack <laughs> so Sparrow far. sounds like a Westerosi name. So yeah. I feel like this is all coming together. Okay, let's let's talk about a couple of characters that we haven't really dwelt on so far. I want to talk a bit about Rhaenyra because she's going to be incredibly important mm. to the show. Um we're, we haven't even seen her in her final form yet, as it were. We've heard her voice of the adult, uh, Rhaenyra, but this is kind of her as a, as a teenager taking her first steps into power. What did you think of her? Very impressive. Um, Millie Alcock obviously playing Rhaenyra in the younger version. Um, yeah, she doesn't get a huge amount quite yet in this first episode to do, but um, I think you already feel her like sense of rebellion Um her sense of ambition. Um, she's kind of rejecting traditional notions. I think that unnerves Alison and that's where that tension comes between them. But you get a sense that there's a bit more to their relationship. Um, and she seems to take being named as Viserys's heir quite in her stride at the end. She seems very confident when she stood there. You know, that could be a facade, but she seems like she has it together, but there's going to be lots thrown at her to make it very difficult. So, But I think Millie Alcock's great in this first episode, but I'm very excited to see Emma Darcy come into the show as well. Feels like a real, like, put your money where your mouth is moment, where she's like, why aren't I the heir? Oh, I've, I've been looked over, he's not going to name me as the heir, and then he does. And she's like, partly, oh shit, but also... <laughs> Okay, this is what I wanted. <laughs> let me let me take the dragon by the reins and see where this goes. I liked that mix of I think there was a bit of oh shit trepidation um when he has that conversation with her in uh, the the caves underground partly as well because he's also saying by the way the apocalypse is coming which would shit you <laughs> up a bit. And there was part of me that was like some of the confusion around that of okay so they've known for a while or there's been a sense for a while that all mm. the stuff we saw in game of thrones is coming and then part and going well if we kind of knew that how did it take so much convincing of everybody in the main show and then i remembered how long we've been talking about climate change and no one's done a fucking <laughs> thing about it for decades and decades <laughs> so actually i can believe that very very much um but yeah in that moment when he talks to her you get that sense of oh oh okay shit this is real now but at the same time yeah in that final shot when she is being named and she's standing in front of everybody everyone is there it's a massive deal she seems very focused and in the moment there i have to say that prophecy was a bit of a surprise to me it's it ha no i'll be honest i haven't finished the book yet so maybe it's going to turn up but i have not come across that that is that seems to be an addition to the show there was a prophecy that's why the, the targaryens got out of valeria before the fall of valeria because basically one of their number was a dreamer a sort of cassandra and they believed her and they left and went to the dragon mount and that's why that's why they escaped the doom of Valyria. But this whole thing about predicting the events of essentially Game of Thrones and calling it very wittily a song of ice and fire, I think that's an addition to remind people that, oh, hey, this is a Game of Thrones spin-off. You can trust us. Mm. As for why nobody would know about it, if, if it's only a king passing it on to his heir, I mean, 
I don't think it's a spoiler to say there's not going to be a smooth, unbroken line of kings between now and then. So Mm -hmm. there's a lot of scope for that to go completely missing if they're they're the only people that know about it. As I say, I haven't rewatched Game of Thrones in a while. Do we hear that vision being talked about by, you know, Baratheon at the start or, you know, Cersei as she's sort of... Do do we hear talk of that in the main show? It, it was a vision that it was going to happen. I feel like we hear that the long a long winter is coming. I feel that that's sort of present, isn't it? But yeah, I'm not sure if it went into that much detail, but I didn't know it wasn't in the book. And I thought, oh, that's kind of like a nice sort of connecting thread. Mm. I think it was, it, it felt like it was put in as a connective tissue, right? To the to the yeah. main show. And maybe also a little, 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 little sprinkling of, of fan service. And you get that as well with, you know, like... Mm. When you hear the the name Stark or Lannister, that's that one's for you, Throneheads. You know they're just throwing that in for 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 a bit of fun. But yeah, like you say, it's the the Starks and Lannisters aren't maybe as 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 bigger players here. Yeah, the Lannisters will still be in it, but not quite as important as as some of the rest. Um, but we should talk about one important family. Um, and that is the High Towers, because I think you're already getting a sense of Otto High Towers' place in this kingdom. So he is not. The Lord High Tower, that is his older brother, who actually come t- comes along to that ceremony with the heirs at the end. You get to you do get a sense of him. Um, he's the second brother, and obviously then father also to Alicent. So, um, what do we make of Otto? He seems like almost the little finger of this season, just in that he seems to have fingers in pies, hot or otherwise, of just (laughs) stuff going on. He seems to, I thought it was really well drawn, the rivalry between him and Damon and how they just really Mm. clearly hate each other, but also how much influence he has over Viserys that partly seems to come from a good place, but also partly seems to have his own interests. And the fact that immediately after uh, Emma slash Amma, I still don't know how the AE sounds work in this world. I think Emma, I think Emma in this case. Amma, uh, immediately after she's died, he said to his daughter, go and have a nice little chat with the king now, is a bit like, <laughs> oh, okay, maybe God, you are kind of pushing some, down my spine. pushing some chess pieces across the board there. But I think you need people like that. You need people like that in these stories and in this world who are, you have the people who are very set and are going to do what they're going to do. And that's part of the inevitability of it all. And then you have the little chaos makers in the middle who are just going to throw a curveball and sweep those kind of more predictable players around because you know exactly what their trajectory is going to be. And he strikes me immediately as one of them. The other thing that struck me with the high towers was uh, in the joust, Obviously, Daemon Targaryen's like uh, helmet thing was a big old dragon, which was kind of goofy, but also kind of cool. The the high tower one was just like a big tower hat. It was almost like a chef hat, but made of metal. You know? I was like, that's a that's a weird look. You went there, you tried something. <laughs> like, what if the what helmet was a tower? Uh, it could have just a been brick? a normal helmet and not look like a big dweeb. Well, our <laughs> is tower is high. I suppose that's, that's <laughs> how how much yeah. look. Yeah, I thought I thought Risa fans um, was really great. Actually, I I really liked his performance. It's it he, to me he was kind of channeling um, Charles Dance as Tywin Lannister, that same sort of slightly mm. sneering, slightly ruthless bureaucrat who's yeah just sort of quietly moving the chess pieces and and trying to be the sort of the um, you know the power behind the throne kind of thing. Uh, yeah, I, I thought he was great, and yeah, he does. He gets some 
great scenes without one to spoil anything in, in later episodes. Um, I also loved that the the head of the Hi- House Hightower, um, Hobart Hightower, is played by Stefan Rodri, who, of course, we know as Dave Coaches from Gavin and Stacey. Um, oh, and I also, yes, I did spot yeah, him. Yeah. I don't think I realised he was a Hightower. He was a Hightower. I, I interviewed him um, for our Harry Potter Lord of the Rings issue because he was in... Um, I can't remember which Harry Potter. Maybe he was he was in Order of the Phoenix, right? When they take Order of the, the Phoenix because he portion. plays like the aged up Ron Weasley for like five minutes yeah. after they do a spell or something. I don't know. Is it Reg Catamole? I don't know why I know that. <laughs> Reg that is the, it is, yeah. Reg Catamole. <laughs> That's I know exactly that. right. <laughs> Wow. I don't know, John. I <laughs> We need to do, go back and do some Harry Potter spoiler specials so Ben yeah. can use this knowledge at last. Mm-hmm. <laughs> ben mentions um, Otto's uh, sort of relationship with Damon and I think that's so spot on. And Damon actually says, like, he the counsellor manipulating you to Viserys and he's a second son, he calls him, like, as kind of a derogatory term. And, like, Otto clearly has this chip on his shoulder that he's not first in line to power and so he's finding another way to get it. And yeah, I think them clashing is going to be great. And when Damon just calls him, I see you next Tuesday in that throne room, that made everyone in the screening I was at laugh out loud. <laughs> that was like the moment of the show. <laughs> it's it's great, isn't it? Because, you know, Otto isn't wrong that Damon is building up this private mm. army and it could be a problem. Equally, Damon maybe isn't wrong in his assessment of Otto, <laughs> you know, so they yeah, have, yeah, yeah. it makes it for a really interesting uh, divide between the two of them. And I think Alison, yeah, you're right. I mean, you've you've picked up Sophie on her kind of her nerves and her unease at times, but I think she's going to be mm. very interesting going forward. So I plan on keeping a close eye on what they do with her because uh, there's some stuff. There's some stuff to come. Um, <laughs> who else stood out for you? I mean, I've, for me, Steve Toussaint as um, as Corliss, the sea snake, um, is cool. Not just because he gets by far the best wig in the show. I mean, <laughs> it's it's not close. I think his wife gets the worst one, but he is the best one. But um, he just he has a lot of presence, and it feels like he's uh, he's doing something different, maybe than we've seen before in these consoles. Mm, he's he's an interesting presence, isn't he? Because he. He is the husband of the queen who never was and he has kind of like, he's on the back foot in a way there, but he has this sort of strength, this energy when he just puts his hand over the cup when Renera is pouring the stuff and you just think he's got another plan up his sleeve. He wants to get Rhaenys or himself or whoever back on the throne somehow. Um, He seems hard to place like where his alliance um, lies. And yeah, Steve Toussaint does a really good job. He's just got charisma as well. I think that's something mm. where, because of the role that Paddy Considine is having to play as Viserys, and then you've got Damon off just being like, ah, chaos and blood and sex and all sorts, then to have Corlys be, I don't know, he seems like the coolest person in the show, and I'm kind of rooting for him, even though he's barely done anything so far. He just has a bit of charisma and a bit of like spark around him that I am excited to see kind of where he goes from here. He might be my favourite so far, I'm going to be honest. I don't think that's a spoiler for the next few episodes, but I just think he's really cool. And I think that the the sort of the chat between him and Rhaenys at the joust just shows they're both kind of too mm. cool for school. They also have adorable children, but like the, the the four of them just sitting there going, well, this is shit, isn't it? You know, it's just <laughs> quite, it's quite relatable. I'll be honest. It was like Game of relatable. Thrones goggle box. <laughs> just like a normal family who kind of aren't us who are like, oh, we'll watch this anyway, but also we'll slag it off while we're watching it. I enjoyed that. 
I know we've talked about him a bit, but I loved Matt Smith in this episode. I wasn't sure what to think about him coming into this. Um, but like his physicality, the way he sort of moved around the room, the sort of chaotic energy that he brought to every scene, the way he just snarled his lines. I just thought he was so good. He seems to be having a lot of fun. Um, and like I've said, I think there is more to that character than just being an out and out villain. But I think he weirdly is my favourite so far, even though he's clearly a wrong one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just think Matt Smith's having a great time. And I'm very envious of his lovely, long, straight uh, blonde hair. Yeah. It's very nice. The perfect blow dry. Uh, I don't know how anyone's hair would be naturally that straight. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they've got to have like medieval GHDs and medieval, you know, platinum hair dye do. there somewhere. Come on. Come on. Yeah, he's stocking up on all the plex. I can tell it's in his bathroom. <laughs> all right, like like as we, as I said, John and I have seen a few more episodes, but I'm intrigued to see Ben and Sophie what you think is going to be coming up in the next few episodes. Because as Chris has has told listeners, I think already on our spoiler channel, there is so much great TV coming out at the moment that we are basically overwhelmed and we can't do everything weekly. Mm. So what we're going to do is a sort of early season, mid season and end of season wrap up for the big TV this year. So the Marvel, the Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, and of course here with House of the Dragon. We're also going to be, by the way, uh, recording a Sandman spoiler special as well. So we will be back here in a few weeks to discuss what's happened in the next few episodes. But what are you guys, what are you guys anticipating? What do you think is going to happen? Um, and what are you looking forward to seeing more of? Incest. Is what I'm expecting, not what I'm looking forward to. Uh, incest, backstabbing, uh, people dying, dragons, breathing fire. Um, it looks like, because again, they've put out a little teaser trailer of like, ooh, in the coming weeks, look at this. And it looks like quite quickly we're going to get into some battle stuff, which is quite interesting because I think at the moment it feels very much who's in the tower, who's going to be on the throne, who's going to be the heir, rather than, oh no, big political things are happening and you're going to have to send off armies. Obviously, things can escalate quickly and have escalated quickly in the past. So I'm intrigued to see how we get there, how we start to get into some big battle stuff early on and get to see some big dragony stuff in the battles as well, because we got that towards the end of Thrones, but it feels like there's more they can do with that in this series, especially with multiple dragons flying around. So battles, dragon mayhem, incest is what I'm expecting. I don't think it's a spoiler to say that there's a clue in this episode to where there might be a battle. I mean, Damon's got an army. I mean, somebody outright <laughs> says, somebody outright says we should go and fight these guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I know what you mean. I can't remember exactly what they were called, but in one of the council meetings, they're talking about like an uprising happening, right? Um, sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, I agree with Ben. I think I'm very excited for, for battle scenes. I've seen glimpses of that in trailers and stuff and seeing the dragons really be let loose. Um, I'm excited to see how Renera and, I can't say her name, Renera and Alison's relationship um, develops. And yeah, it all feels quite tame at the moment that whilst Viserys had Emma and there was the potential for an heir coming that everyone was just kind of going along and seeing what happens. But now that Rhaenyra's been named, it's sort of, it feels like people are going to start coming out of the woodwork. It's going to be sort of every man for himself, literally, and they're going to see how they can worm their way onto the throne. Well, I know a little bit about, because um, some of the guys have mentioned that there's quite a few time jumps in episodes, which is interesting to me and in that it takes a little while for the grown-up versions um, of some of the characters to come in. I'm kind of excited to see how that dynamic switches up a bit. I think I thought from the beginning that it would be 
more like maybe flashbacks it would be more of a sort of even approach um but it seems quite of a split season i guess so yeah i'm interested to see how that dynamic changes as well when they come into it later on absolutely and yeah. any final thoughts from you john on uh, on the next few episodes without spoilers of course without spoilers of course well yeah the the, the time jump thing is very interesting and i think that's what's go- definitely going to keep me watching i think it's it doesn't move at the pace that you think it moves or at least certainly not the the, the pace that game of thrones moves um you know it really covers yeah, it's over a decade basically in this first season um and the 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 change of characters which i've only seen i'm not going to say when it happens but we ha- we do meet the so millie alcock and emily carey uh, uh, their characters are then played by emma darcy and olivia cook and that does add something very different to the show and we can get into that maybe uh, in, a, in a future installment but um that is really exciting and interesting and um changes like sophie says changes the dynamic um and also yeah the battles uh i like i was saying at the start about big impactful moments i mean this show i definitely benefits from a bigger budget if you go back to the first season of game of thrones um which had a much smaller budget they don't even really have a battle they you know the the tradition was to have a battle in in episode nine in the penultimate episode and and Tyrion gets knocked out and th- that's like their their sort of cheap mm. way of um saving cash on on a big battle but yeah there there is a battle like seemingly every other episode that i can tell um i i think it's going to be heavy on war and only get heavier um and yeah with with like what is it like nine or twelve dragons in the sky I mean, yeah, I'm hyped. I'm hyped. Bring on the fire. <laughs> yeah, dragons are coming. Um, well, that is it for our first House of the Dragon spoiler special. We will, as I say, be back at the halftime break sometime in mid-season to discuss how it's going along and uh, where it's going. But for now, it is goodbye from Sophie of House Butcher, first of her name. Farewell. It's goodbye from the nudge that was promised. Of Valamogulus. <laughs> that was Harris. Thank you. It's, it's, just, it's just polite. It's just good manners. Just, it is just polite. You're right. You're right. It's goodbye from Benjamin Travgarian. Uh, it's actually Banjaman oh. Travgarian, uh, going by the tra- uh, Targaryen pronunciations, but we'll work on that. We've got a couple of weeks. We've got some goodbye. time. <laughs> And it's goodbye from me. I've gone with Helen Fire, uh, named after a dragon you haven't even met yet. So there you go. <laughs> There's some time to go. Um, but thanks all for joining us. Thank you for subscribing to our Spoiler Special channel. And as I say, we will be here with She-Hulk, with Andor, with Lord of the Rings, and with more House of Dragon in the weeks to come. So please do join us then. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.